the cost of capital and the delays in delivering fast oil. Has it cost Uganda? We continue with our in-depth look at the oil and gas sector in Uganda. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business. In Africa, I am Ritha Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at the K Financial, and you can find me at Ritha Dong. The start of Ugandan oil production and exports is expected in the year 2025. This follows repeated postponements over the last decade. With the FID, the final investment decision signed at the beginning of this year, a new wave of momentum has seen a lot of movement in the oil and gas sector in Uganda. Ellison Karhanga, partner at the Kampala Associated Advocates and the chairman of the Oil and Gas Committee at the East African Law Society, joins us for this episode to break down the effects of the cost of capital on the project and the vantage points in the delay in the delivery of fast oil. Internationally, the cost of capital has skyrocketed this year. How much of an impact will this have on the projects in the oil and gas sector? FID not only happened, contracts are already being signed and some money is already being paid. Of course, what's happening in the world right now affects the project tremendously because of not just of global inflation, but because some of the suppliers may have been from Russia, for example. Some of the items may be from Ukraine or from Russia or wherever. So there's a huge effect that global inflation has on the project. But the project also looks much more attractive now because of the global oil prices. Of course, whether they will remain that high is another matter. I don't think they will. But certainly it will be much more expensive. But what is clear is that contracts are being signed and work is being done. If you take time off to actually go to the region, you will see that um, the central processing facilities are being constructed. The wellheads are being constructed from where the oil is going to be pumped. There is massive economic activity. Poima Airport is more than 70% complete. So you have an airport that's coming up. You have uh, the central processing facilities and, and the industrial areas being um, built up. You have the oil roads are complete. Hoima is it's already a city, of course, in, in law, but I think Hoima is, is, is really targeting itself to be our second largest city, not too far from now. And um, by the time we all wake up, I'll be shocked to realize that there's a lot of activity that has actually been undertaken. Land compensations are going on for the pipeline route. People are being resettled. Resettlement houses have been constructed. Companies like Excel, Epsilon, um, other companies building houses already for people, uh, replacement houses for project-affected persons, compensations actually happening. So it's, it's happening, and it's happening at an interesting time where we'll, we'll probably see some good activity in, 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 in the next few months as more and more things happen. The numerous delays in the delivery of fast oil, were they necessary? Our problem was, of course, that we are landlocked, and um, you do need to go to the sea. So we, we also had a lot of delays because also work which was done. Part of the oil was discovered in um, very pristine areas. And so the decision not to rush until we are sure that what we are doing is not going to disturb our natural ecosystem was very important. A lot of work was actually done. There's a document called the Strategic Environment Assessment, a C, SEA, which even predates any form of environmental activism around this project, which is a 2010 document where there's, I think, more than 5,000 pages of studies done by government agencies and by investors on what can we do to make sure that this is the sort of environment that we have, how can we protect it? So 
a lot of the delays here were actually long before anyone woke up and began crying on our behalf about our environment were done by us to really protect uh, uh, the natural resources that we have and so the 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 delay is therefore has to be seen in in that context so we but we also had challenges disagreements even with the oil companies about taxation a refusal to let people make money and go away with it spot free so we've had a fight first of all by the state to make sure that uganda keeps what rightfully belongs to uganda through our tax regime and I dare say that the government has been successful most of the time, at least in those fights, and where our gray areas has been able to reach compromise to make sure that money is actually paid into the treasury. Um, in 2021, Total Energies bought Talos interest in Uganda at $500 million. They made an investment in this market at a time when the price of oil was zero. So I think anyone wants to compare themselves with Uganda, needs to compare themselves with uh, Uganda properly. The delay has its challenges, but there's also a lot of work that went into that delay and uh, to make sure that what comes out is sustainable. And that's why people in Uganda can confidently speak back to anyone who comes and says, these Ugandans are, are trying to kill our environment. Ugandans can confidently speak back because long before anyone complained to us about our environment, we were working on it. We don't need a lecture from someone in in um, in Berlin about our about our environment. We, we love it also. And back to financing. Is the banking sector in Uganda attuned to the financial needs and nuances of the oil and gas sector, especially for the local entrepreneurs? I think when it comes to the oil and gas sector in particular, the, the banks have a lot of education to do. We have a lot to learn because what you're dealing with is a different type of risk. When you talk of um, LPOs, with the oil and gas sector, there's literally no credit risk on total from a banking perspective. If Total is making the order or if the big tier one contractors of Total are making an order for cement, for sand, for iron, for steel, for um, for tons and tons of steel, um, I don't think there's a credit risk on the side of Total. So the LPO there would be a fantastic method of financing. The problem is if there's a performance risk rather. Because the contracts are so huge, I'm seeing Ugandan logistics companies are sitting down on 12, 13, 15, 23 million dollar contracts in a sector that has probably handled its largest contracts at less than 10% of that. Now, a bank, the sort of immediate financing may not be available for them within their balance sheets to raise this money. But they, so they may need some support from banks to raise performance guarantees, to raise, um, to have some liquidity to do this project, uh, to have some invoice discounting systems. But the sums are huge. And then the question is, if the sum is that huge and you've never done that sort of business, if the bank takes the LPO, yeah, they can trust Total, but can they trust that Total will not terminate your contract because you have failed to perform? So the banks are fearing. One of the things I'm sensing is not so much a fear about collateral and LPOs, because I think from the LPO side, they are comfortable with um, McDermott, they are comfortable with Total, they are comfortable with Sino. I think where they are worried is with their own customer. Will their customer be able perform this contract, especially these time-bound contracts. You're looking at producing oil coming out of the ground Christmas Day 2025, or latest in the first quarter of 2026, is when the first tanker should be leaving Tanga. You're looking at someone saying, I want the pipeline to be built, I want the oil facilities to be built, and I want a ship 
the first ship to leave Tanga on 1st January 2026. So you have this ambitious date. Then you have this guy here, Mama Usman Company Limited, that's supposed to supply potatoes to the field, and she needs $2 million, $3 million financing, but she's a $50,000 business. The banks, I think, are worried. With Mama Usna handle. So the, the, the problem right now is performance risk. And the banks and the borrowers and the government have to come around with a good understanding of performance risk. I think the decision of the government to create a local content fund will help cushion the performance risk. That was Ellison Karhanga, partner at Kampala Associated Advocates and chairman of the Oil and Gas Committee at the East African Law Society. A quick review of the other stories making it into the podcast. Ghana is expected to receive $3 billion over three years from the International Monetary Fund if an agreement on a program is reached. Bloomberg reported that the loan requested was double the amount of $1.5 billion the West African nation had requested a month ago. On July 1st, the Ghanaian government announced a U-turn of an initial decision of not resorting to IMF for support despite economic hardship hitting the citizenry. Consequently, a team from the IMF arrived in Ghana to start negotiations with the Ghanaian government. The, The government has since maintained to secure a good deal for the country. Kenya's banking sector remained stable and resilient in 2021, despite all sectors continuing to shrink under the weight of the COVID-19 pandemic. Lenders recorded sound capital and liquidity ratios, leading to double-digit growths in profitability. Price Waterhouse Coopers report released on behalf of Kenya Bankers Association shows that 38 commercial banks in the country recorded a 38% increase in digitally disbursed loans in 2021 from 3.2 trillion shillings in 2020 to 4.8 trillion shillings. The increase was attributed to the surge in demand for credit by various economic sectors, as well as uptake of technology for credit access. The Central Bank of Kenya data shows the largest proportion of the banking industry gross loans and advances were channeled to personal and household trade, manufacturing, and real estate sectors in 2021. In total, the four areas accounted for 73.79% of gross loans in in the 12-month period. Trade, real estate, manufacturing, and personal and household sectors accounted for the highest value of non-performing loans by registering 68.62%. This, according to the Central Bank of Kenya, was mainly due to delayed payments from public and private sectors slow uptake of housing units and challenges brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. And a quick review of the other stories making it into the podcast. Brand crude futures rebounded above $98 per barrel level, bouncing off their daily lows of $95 as Russia halted oil exports via the southern leg of Drushpa pipeline, citing issues relating to transit fees, which added to concerns about an already tight market still. Market moves came as investors weighed potential supply additions from Iran. The European Union submitted a final text to revive the 2015 deal late on Monday, awaiting approval from Washington and Tehran. A potential deal could boost Iran's oil exports by at least 1 million barrels per day, or about 1% of the global supply in six months. On top of that, lingering fears of a demand-sapping global recession continued to hang over the market. Gold extended its momentum to its 1,800 US dollar per ounce mark, a level not seen since early June, supported by safe haven bids from persistent global recession concerns and geopolitical tensions. Adding to the bullish tone was the overall negative sentiment around the dollar 
triggered by uncertainty around the Federal Reserve's tightening path ahead of the U.S. inflation data due on Wednesday. Economists expect the annual inflation rate to have eased to 8.7% from 9.1% in June amid falling gasoline prices. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. If you have any suggestions or you just want to check out more stories, visit our website, that is akfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial. And you can find me at With the Dong. <laughs>